there's a, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we are here not for the people that are here, though we love them dearly. We are here to see you and to hear from you, to learn from you. Father, we pray that you'd be, and we trust in your faithfulness, Lord, that we are gathered more than two or three in your name. Please be present. Touch our hearts. Stir us. Change us from the inside out. Lord, we cannot find the words of life, truth, in this confusing world. We find so much confusion and agony and distraction. But Lord, we alone can find life and hope and meaning and truth in you. Lord, help us to set aside all of that distraction this morning, the tiredness of body and mind and heart. Now you can speak through your living word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's read together from 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, chapter 25. 1 Samuel, chapter 25. And Samuel died, and all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him, and buried him in his house at Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel, and the man was very great, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance, but the man was churlish and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. And David sent out ten young men, and David said unto the young men, Get you up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus shall ye say to him that liveth in prosperity, Peace be both to thee, and peace be to thine house, and peace be to, unto all that thou hast. 
And now I've heard that thou hast shears, and now thy shepherds which were with us, we hurt them not, neither was there aught missing unto them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask thy young men, and they will show thee. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants and to thy son David. And when David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all those words in the name of David and ceased. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shears and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told him all those sayings. And David said unto his men, Gird ye on every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And they went up after David about 400 men and 200 abode by the stuff. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were very good unto us, and we were not hurt, neither missed we anything as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us, both by night and day, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak unto him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and 200 bottles of wine and five sheep ready dressed and five measures of parched corn and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on asses. And she said to her servants, go on before me. Behold, I will come after you. But she told not her husband Nabal. And it was so as she rode on the ass that she came down by the covert of the hill And behold, David and his men came down against her, and she met them. And David had said, Surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow hath in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that pertained unto him. And he hath requited me evil for good. So and more also do God unto the enemies of David, if I leave of all that pertain to him by the morning light any that pisseth against the wall. And when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me let this iniquity be. And let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thine handmaid. Let not, my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord, whom thou didst send. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood, and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now this blessing which thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, let it even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. 
I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath been found in thee all thy days. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee, and to seek thy soul. But the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God, and the souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling. And it shall come to pass, when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he hath spoken concerning thee, and shall have appointed thee rule over Israel, that this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord, either that thou shed blood, causeless, or that my Lord hath avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou, which hast kept me this day from coming to shed blood, and from avenging myself with mine own hand. For in very deed, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, which hath kept me back from hurting thee, except thou hasted and come to meet me, surely there had not been left unto Nabal by the morning light any that pisseth against the wall. So David received of her hand that which he had brought him, and said unto her, Go up in peace to thine house. See, I have hearkened to thy voice, and have accepted thy person. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he held a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken. Wherefore she told him nothing less or more until the morning light. But it came to pass in the morning when the wine was gone out of Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And it came to pass about ten days after that the Lord smate, smote Nabal that he died. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord that hath pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and hath kept his servant from evil. For the Lord hath returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head, and David sent and communed with Abigail to take her to him to wife. And when the servants of David were come to Abigail to Carmel, they spake unto her, saying, David sent us unto thee to take thee to him to wife. And she arose and bowed herself on her face to the earth and said, Behold, let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hasted and arose and rode upon an ass with five damsels of hers that went after her. And she went after the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they were also both of them his wives. But Saul had given Michal his daughter, David's, his daughter, David's wife, to Falti, the son of Laish, which was of Gollum. Read the entire chapter. We've had a, a story. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the story of Abigail. Clearly, Eric and Kezi are, since their baby is named after her. And certainly, quite appropriately, Abigail was a beautiful and very wise woman. And we see her qualities come out in, uh, in the choices she made. And her speech at the 
center of the story is, is kind of a turning point. And if, as I was reading this the other day, I realized that this took a lot of faith on the part of Abigail. If you, you think about it, <clears throat> you know, she was, uh, especially as, as David calls her away, she's leaving a wealth. At the beginning, we, we read uh, the tremendous wealth that um, here with 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, in those days, that was your bank account. There was no uh, uh, TD at the corner. Rather, you kept your bank, your animals. It was how you accumulated wealth. We were just out actually in GOTM, and, and that's kind of how the banking system was there for the ministry. That is, we had money. We could purchase animals, and when we needed money, when, when Kezia's father was was here in the States and they needed money. They sold a few animals and that's how they covered the shortfall and that, that's how the monetary system works. So this was actually a, a very big bank account. And we see that Nabal is, is able to live, he make a feast like a king. He was, he was quite well off, substantial. But Abigail can choose between the things she cannot keep, the, the things that um, she would have access to, and she saw, she really believed the promises that were given to David. And it was that belief in those promises that she appealed to David as she's speaking to him, and uh, she she's counting on God's promises as if they had already been fulfilled. She was acting as if they were fulfilled. Nabal, on the other hand, we see he's counting on these promises as if they had never been made. Now, Nabal, his very name means being foolish, and we certainly see his, his attitude. You know, he might consider himself, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a realist, uh, someone who understands what's going on, someone who's who's made it big, not by uh, you know catering to to affection and and feelings and 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 fancy fanciful ideas and religious thoughts. And so you know he basically saw David as a runaway, and he kind of chased him away as almost like you know. A, as someone who was guilty, someone who was um, a rebel and not worthy. And often when we have people come to us and they ask us for money, we can start to come up with excuses along those lines too, don't we? We start to think, you know, well, it's their own fault. They're in this predicament. You know, if they had done what I did, he could have 3,000 sheep, but uh, we don't recognize the difference in circumstances. And we think that, uh, you know, these are, in, look at Nabal's response. Shall I take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for in my shears and give it onto, you know, someone who he considers undeserving? Indeed, it makes me check my own heart. 
you know, we have this idea of the deserving poor, right? And, and, and yes, we need to be wise. We don't want to enable patterns of sin. Uh, but, you know, do we really have a enable churlish attitude towards those who come and are in need? After all, what does Jesus say? He said that uh, in Matthew 25, that is going to be the dividing line between the sheep and the goats is our attitude towards human need, towards those who have no clothes and those who are hungry and those who are in prison. Now, typically you get in prison for uh, doing something wrong. And yet Jesus says, what you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. So this is kind of an attitude check. You know, do we see Jesus in the poor person who is asking for help in the need that is presented before us. And again, it's, it's this, do I see it through eyes of faith? If I serve and give that cup of gold, cold water, as was mentioned in the prayer, you know, then, you know, I know that my reward, um, is in heaven and and i don't need to worry that i am going to be left with nothing i i see in faith the face of jesus in the people i'm serving or do i choose to focus on you know well you know you are a rebel you ran away from saul we'll discount the fact that god made these promises and that saul was trying to kill you and that that you were uh you were trying to do the right thing and you know Saul is being motivated by jealousy to kill you because he has sinned you know all that stuff all the background of the people that we're confronted with that maybe they weren't born with 3000 sheep or they maybe they were they have gone through reversals that are no fault of their own but, so we see Nabal's attitude. Nabal's attitude is, yeah, God made, he, the fact God made promises means nothing. It reminds us very much of, uh, of 2 Peter 3, where it says that the scoffers are going to say in the last day, you know, where is this God who said he's coming? You know, everything today is like yesterday, is like the day before. Nothing has changed. Why should we give up uh, you know, pleasure and and why should we serve God? You know, let's eat and drink and be merry because this God, he's not, he, I don't see him doing anything. I don't recognize that he's the one who's sustaining life. I don't recognize that he's the one who's ultimately in control, who, that, that the very fact that this exists is the handwork of God, which is the other thing that Second Peter 3 is pointing out. So it's God's promises because God is being merciful, because he is delaying his judgment, because he wants to give us an opportunity to respond, we, we, uh, we can become scoffers. We become, think we're more sophisticated. We think we're too smart to be taken in by religious words and promises when re in reality, this is... This is God's promise. God is being merciful. 
And with Nabal here, he was very much a man of the world who wasn't going to be taken in and discounted the word of God, didn't count on the word of God that the man he was chasing away like a dog would one day be king because God had made, pointed him to be king. Do we sometimes take the very offer of salvation that Jesus died to give us an opportunity to, for the payment of our sins and do we chase away perhaps the messenger that is coming to bring us that good news and say, I have no time for you today. I am busy. I have more important things to do. I have an agenda. I have a to-do list. I have my goals. I am building my career and my relationships and my platform for success in this world. I have no time to hear the words of someone who's, who's here to sell me something. And we don't see the future king that will come and that will come back and split the skies and will call us into judgment. So in this story, we have uh, David who has protected the sheep, uh, the 3,000 sheep. He was a shepherd. He understood this. And he, he uh, had done a service, a security service for them. And he was hoping on this day to come when it was payday, when, you know, there was, this is when he was cashing in his sheep and, the, and therefore it would be a great time to be paid. And Nabal, because of his lack of faith in God's promises, turned him away. But one young man who saved his life because he went to Abigail and said, look, David sent these messengers and he was chased away, and look at all the good David did. He understood the injustice that had happened. Unfortunately, this isn't a good story as far as David is concerned, because he suffered an injustice. He had invested, I don't know, a whole year of, of taking care of this man, of doing this service for this man, and now he was being um, chased away as if he was uh, not own, owed anything and that he was the one who was guilty. And he responded in anger. And in anger, he was going to do something pretty horrific. He was going to come and he was going to wipe out every male from uh, that that that. Uh, that belonged in that house. And it's not sometimes what happens to us. We, we suffer a legitimate, valid injustice. We deserve respect. We deserve payment in this case. We deserve, yeah, both of them were an issue for David. We deserve, we think we, we're entitled to something and, and because someone doesn't give us our due or betrays us or disappoints us or um, we feel, and that's what anger is. It's a natural reaction to injustice. But the problem is that David was going to 
take that justice in his own hand. This is, this is totally counter to the integrity we see in other cases where David had an opportunity to, with, with Saul to, to execute justice and he withheld. He had other opportunities and he had the integrity to wait on God to deal with the injustice of the man who was trying to kill him. And he had every right and his friends say, look, God set this up. You're in the cave. He kind of hid in the very cave at your feet. This is, this is clearly from God. And he said, no, I am not. I'm going to wait on God to deal with this. But in this case, David's anger at injustice, at being offended, at being called names, at his name saying, who is David? That he, it really got him angry to the point he didn't see and wasn't looking to God. And David forgot his promises. David wasn't waiting on God to establish his name in this chapter. And he reacted in anger, put on his sword. Now, we don't put on our sword when someone hurts us. But we might put on, in anger, destructive words, destructive tone and attitude. We might think, I deserve vengeance by my hand. And David is so thankful in this chapter that, that God stopped him from, by his own hand, achieving vengeance. I mean, isn't that what, like, every kind of, like, plot line, of, well, I guess you've got, you know, half the movies are about vengeance and the other half are about romance, or sometimes they mix the two. But, you know, it seems to be driving a lot of the, the stories are about, you know, someone suffers an injustice and then they get even and then some and 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 then the sweet revenge that's the story that this world says that's how you do it that's how you get respect you know working with the guys from the projects down in pelham park you know you got a beef you got you got to make the other people pay so they respect you Right? You've got to throw down your gloves and say, come on, right now. You, you never let anyone disrespect you. And you need to, you need to do a little bit more so that, that you get your respect. And it's so sad because you see what happens to their lives. You see how none of these young men survive, basically. I remember one of them telling me, you know, all my friends, they're either dead or they're in jail, or they've gone crazy, right? That, that's what ends up happening from this lifestyle of in your own hands, I will wreak vengeance. But sadly, that was David's attitude, and Abigail had the wisdom and the foresight and the diligence. She hasted. She hurried. She didn't delay. And she, she saved the day for everyone. Everyone was saved by her. Not only Nabal's family, but David was saved from his own um, anger and his own um, what would have destroyed him from his reputation and his heart. That takes wisdom, doesn't it? 
Wisdom isn't always sitting on the mountain, stroking your white beard, and coming up with wise, obscure sayings. Sometimes wisdom means taking action immediately. It means doing. It means going to someone who is angry and about to wipe out your whole household. It means confronting with humility, with faith, with uh, generosity, and with the right words that only God can give. And here we see Abigail uh, in wisdom, not delaying, taking the provisions and quickly going and coming to David in humility, coming to him and, and, and taking uh, responsibility, even though she wasn't responsible, but saying, you know, I, if I had seen it and, 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 and she is, you know, um, deflecting his anger, taking it upon herself. And then she has this wisdom to turn David. So after, you know, saying, look, my husband is a fool, just like his name says, blame me. I was the one who didn't see you. Um, now, therefore, as your soul lives, seeing as God is withholding thee from coming to shed blood, she already had the confidence she, she was in faith that this was going to be effective to keep him. And, and in her wisdom, she's helping him to remember God. Remember God. Often when we get into conflict, it's about how I'm hurt, about my ego, about your ego, and it never goes anywhere. When it's about human egos, you lock horns and everybody suffers, as would have happened here. If David had gone through with his plan, everyone would have suffered. Anger is a two-edged sword. It, it, it destroys. It, the wrath of man it does not fulfill the righteousness of God. When we execute vengeance on our terms, but she brings God into it. God's keeping you from sinning, from avenging with your own hand. You know, let God deal with your enemies. And this is what the New Testament instruction is on, on how to deal with that um, level of injustice, right? It says, let uh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Reminds me of um, one of the stories of the founding of our church in, in Hungary. There was a man named Ludwig Henschei. He was really the evangelist who, who, who probably created the Nazarene movement within, um, within Eastern Europe. <clears throat> Certainly, uh, um, Samuel Friedrich had begun and lit the spark within Switzerland, uh, but it was some um, locksmiths that came and brought it back to Budapest, and Henche, who was there as an apprentice, you know, was really convicted by the word. He was baptized there in that locksmith shop after hours, and he was going home to see his, his, uh, his family and to share the gospel with his family and his, his hometown from the capital city. And uh, 
as he uh, was sharing in town, it was very upsetting to the Catholic priest who was feeling very, uh, uh, you, know, it, you know, that this upstart is, you know, questioning their, his dominant incumbent position as the spiritual authority and bringing the word of God into, into this in exposing uh, lots of things. And so he, he um, calls Henshei into his office and sends his brother to go and take all of Henshei's writings, his Bibles, and destroy them. And meanwhile, he, he confronts him in the office and, and uh, slaps him and uh, yells at him. And Henshei, who had a walking stick in his hand, put that against, his, uh, against the wall. I guess there was one part of the story I missed that, that on his way um, there, uh, he, he was walking home towards home. It was a, a long journey, of course. There was, wasn't no Uber in those days. And he uh, met a young woman who had just come from the market. And uh, she says, oh, she's so glad she was able to sell this fox they had caught. And uh, she's going to tell her husband she sold it for so much, even though she didn't, because she wanted her husband happy. And he said, oh, you can't do that, said Henshe. It's that's, that's not right, you know, and says, well, you know, according to who? And he actually pulled out a Bible, which was illegal in those days, and started sharing with her the word of God, and she was just so impressed that she invited him home for lunch, and, and uh, he kind of shared more from the word of God, and the husband was, he thought, this is, this is strange. This, this guy's just so godly and different, and he says, you know, send his wife, go, go invite him to, to stop by here on the way back when he goes back to, to the city. So uh, Henshe, who had, you know, taken the abuse, he had put the walking stick back, he, he had not retaliated, he had chosen to do that. When he came back to, um, to the, the, the home where he had been invited, and as he shared that story, the husband was like, I want nothing to do with this faith. You know, you're so weak. You don't stand up for yourself. You know, you allow yourself to be abused and walked on. I want nothing to do with this. And um, as they were speaking, uh, the news didn't travel via the internet yet in those days so instead uh, there was a man who came running from the, the, the Henshe's town who was crying saying you know news news and so everyone gathered in the town square and uh, found out what the news was well um, the um, the, uh, Hen the brother of the priest who had gone and stolen all of his things had uh, a beam fall on him and was killed and, and, and the priest had uh, suffered a massive heart attack all in the same day. And, and the husband, you know, who was just saying how, because oh, Henshi had shared the word of God, as I had just said, that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. But his vision was, well, you know, if you don't stand up for yourself, you're not a man. But as he saw right there, in real time, that God did honor and God did repay, you know, he realized, wow, this, you know, is, is, is a real God. This is a God who does 
He's not some remote God we pacify by lighting candles. He's not someone that uh, we just talk about in theory. He's a God who intervenes in our life. And as we rely and trust on him in time, not always immediately, but in time, God will make all things right. And Henshe had not tarnished his reputation as David would have, as David was prevented from doing. And as David was prevented now by Abigail wisely saying, God has promised you the kingdom. God has promised that he will restore you. And I trust that, you know, that, um, you know, because you are fighting the battles of the Lord and evil has not been found in you all thy days. And she saved him from happening that day too. That God will one day, you know, fulfill his promises concerning you. So won't you be happy on that day that you will have trusted in God, that you will not have taken vengeance in your own hand, that you, and that, that you shed blood causelessly, and then remember me. <clears throat> and so the same way with, with what happened here is that as, as Abigail went back and as she shared the news with Nabal when he sobered up the next morning, that he must have suffered some kind of stroke or something. He says he became as a stone and he, he died within 10 days. And God did do vengeance on his own. God is capable of doing that. And rather than all these innocent young shepherds also being senselessly slaughtered for no fault of their own because one man was arrogant and had a mouth and an attitude, because that's what happens. When we take vengeance in our own hand, there's collateral damage. Innocent people get hurt. Things just escalate. It is just so messy. But God will deal with things, and it will be just, and it will be fair. And there's no innocence that need to, to suffer. <clears throat> and at that point, David hears of this, and he turns around. He sends, um, again, a delegation of young men to ask Abigail's hand in marriage. Now, I want you to put yourself now in Abigail's shoes at this point. Because it's, the reason why I'm saying that is because it's the shoes that you are in right now, if you think about it. You can stay on the estate with the 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. You can stay with the, the wealth that you, or whatever it is that, you know, Satan is saying, this is the cost of following me. You may have to give up your plans, your career, your friendships, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your, your, um, your autonomy, your independence, to be independently wealthy here. Or she can believe these promises about this is the one who will be king. And I can give up being, you know, the head of sheep to become the queen of the land. 
but it wasn't a present fact. I mean, we look back and say, oh yeah, she made the right choice. Of course, who wouldn't want to marry David and, and become queen? But at that time, he's, a, he's on the run. The very next chapter, he's going to be hiding in caves as Saul is hunting him down like a dog. He, he is not the king. He is on the run with a band of outlaws. But she is choosing because she believes the promises of God to identify with this band of outlaws and to be on the run and leave the comforts of her wealth and luxury where she can quickly grab 200 loaves of bread and 200 bottles of wine and etc etc and she's giving up the access to wealth to go on the run because she believes that this is where God is this is where God will deliver and so that's the faith that we're called to now. We're called to make choices. And those choices, as we've been studying on, on Wednesday night, have a cost. We may give up something that is sure in this life. And if we aren't giving anything up, then, you know, David said, I will not give my Lord something that costs me nothing. I question whether it, we're really following. But in giving up, the thing that those things that we cannot keep in confidence and trust in the promises of God. God will keep his word. We will. At the moment, it will appear foolish. I'm sure the servants are saying, What are you doing? You're the head of the mistress of the house, and you're going and running off into the wilderness where you have no security. And someone will say that to you too. What are you doing? You've got your life ahead of you. You've got all your future and you can have it made. And you're giving up your autonomy, your freedom, and, and choosing to identify with, with, with God's people that are looked down on and despised as being ignorant and, 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 and following superstitions and, and just, uh, you know, giving up all this for... for for, for some future promise of some future kingdom where, where God will restore justice and where God will wipe away tears and, and all this future things you can't touch and you can't hold and when you could have pleasure now and you could have prosperity and, 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 and pride and, and all the, the, the fame now. It takes the wisdom of Abigail to count on God's word rather than the presence of those 3,000 sheep in the bank. The things you can touch and hold today versus God's promise when those sheep will be dead and gone, that not one jot or tittle will pass away. So we choose today, you choose every day, whether you're going to act in faith and you're going to believe in the word of God and you're going to make choices according to God's promises or whether you're going to stay back and say, well, you know, it was very nice. I was glad I was able to help you, but I'm, I'm okay now. I got my 3,000 sheep. I'll be good. Do I choose to pull back when God invites me 
when God invites you, when he calls you to come, come away with me. As, as the Song of Solomon puts the delightful picture of, of, of the loving suitor who, who loves you and is calling you away, wants to marry you, wants to share life with you, who will deliver a glorious life. But you've got to leave. And Psalms talks about that, you know, the, the woman who is willing to leave her father's house, who's willing to leave the present comfort and, and the security and everything you're attached to and you identify by, and you're willing to die to that so that you can become Mrs. So-and-so. You, you, you become, you identify with, with this Savior, with David, with the son of David with Jesus Christ. And that's the invitation that's being offered today. Believe God's promises. They will come true. As sure as we know now that, oh, sure David's king, we know Jesus is king. That Jesus will split the sky. That Jesus will bring the, the, the streets of gold into come down here and the waters, living waters life and wipe away all tears and you will be in the presence of God without those things will happen. Am I going to give those up because of a few sheep? They kind of smell, you know, sheep. And you're going to find the things that you hang on to are going to stink. And they're going to go corrupt. Even though they seem like it's money in the bank. But if you hang on to the promise of God, you will never regret it. Let's all choose to be wise like Abigail. This past week, I saw this cartoon caricature of two scenes side by side. One was a, a young man or guy riding his bicycle, and his expectation of life was this straight path and the finishing flag, the checkered flag. That was his expectation of life. The other one showed like a climbing hill with valleys like this. And inside each valley you had a certain trial or obstacle this person had to get over. Whether he had to cross a you know, torrenty river or across a bridge or whether there was a bushfire, whatever it was. But the thing is you couldn't see because you're constantly climbing. And then on the other side, finally the finish line. Which do you think is the, the realistic expectation in our lives today? This is fantasy, the straight line, finish line, no problems, no worries. And as the message unfolded this morning, one would think that the big picture was, you know, um, injustice, retaliation, unforgiveness. I would place that in one of these little valleys where we go through these trials. And then we get to out of that and we can come up and then, then comes the next trial. And mind you, many of our difficulties are interrelational, our, our problems with people. 
The overarching theme of this morning's service was trusting God, believing his promises, leaving God to resolve our promises because he can see over the hills and through the valleys and we can't. And it's not when we're in the little valley of our own little world, that's all we see. All we see is our big problems and but we don't see this big God. And we tend to lose trust and faith in God because we're in this valley until we finally get out and say, oh, God has brought me this far. And then the next valley. The Bible says the trial of our faith works patience. The trial of our faith works patience. God's plan for our lives is not that we are comfortable It's not that we have a smooth sail or a straight road. But God's plan for our lives is to transform us and mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. And the means and the method that he has chosen is trials. That's why he says rejoice when you fall into diverse temptations. Rejoice, James says. Who wants to rejoice in stress and calamities and trials and temptations? But rejoice because that is the building of our character, our Christian character. But we are tempted in these valleys to doubt God, to to think God smaller than what he really is. That he doesn't care for us. And that's that's what God has chosen for us in our lives. It's our faith in him that gives us the joy to rejoice even in trials and temptation. And Paul the Apostle was the epitome of that. In jail cells, in prison cells, he could always rejoice. Rejoice, I say, and again I say, rejoice, he said from the Philippian, to the, to the Philippians from the Roman jail cell he was in. May the Lord remind us that it's a long journey, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint to the finish line. It's a marathon with many trials, with many difficulties, but in the end, we become stronger and refined if we trust him. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.